Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. One, two, three, one, two, hello, hello. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and, importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from 3CR Studios in Melbourne on 855am and is available online and via podcast. And thanks to Sally and guests for, um, with Out of the Pan in the last hour and check out Sally's show next week. Um, tune in at 12 to hear the next iteration of Out of the Pan. It'll be another great show. This week we are joined by Jim Kramer, a sewer radio host. So check that out on um, Friday afternoons, sewer radio. Uh, so Jim is no um, novice to 3CR and a local activist who works in environmental and social justice campaigns. Jim is active in WACA, Friends of the Earth, Doing It Ourselves, and many other collectives and groups working to stop humans wrecking the planet and create a more equal and healthy society. Jim has just returned from a blockade up at the huge coal mine that Adani is trying to develop in Queensland and hopefully will be stopped in doing so, and has seen the devastation that coal mines and deforestation has caused around our country. Uh, To add to this, Jim has a background in environmental science and is acutely aware of the damage large-scale agricultural systems are causing to our environment and particularly the issues with animal agriculture. We'll be speaking to Jim today about the importance of protecting our environment and the animals who live in them, how he has seen animals being represented in the environmental movement and what we can do to help promote animal liberation in the environmental movement and society more generally. So thank you Jim for joining us today. No problem. And uh, we've also got Nick here, another um, Foz host in the studio with us. Testing one, two, three. (laughs) Sorry about that. We had a little bit of an issue earlier on the show and had some testing that was um, going live. But just to to let you know that we're here. (laughs) Um, So, Jim, do you want to... I mean, I mentioned a little bit of what you've been involved in, but I've known you now for, what, eight nine years or something, and you, you've been involved in more campaigns than I could even think of or count. Um, can you tell us why you do the work you do? Why, why do you do um, activism around environmental issues and social issues? Um, mm. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't really know why I do it. I don't know why people wouldn't do it. I mean, I guess just um, probably the same reasons that anyone else that does it. I guess you just... Um, see all these problems out there you see devastation of land and how that affects you know animal populations how that affects humans um and it just seems a bit wrong and then it's like well why wouldn't you try to stop what's wrong like that just seems like a really um you know kind of really normal way of looking at the situation it's just like okay there's bad things going down let's try to stop bad things and make some good things happen so yeah, um, it's not really a very um, deep um, philosophical reason apart from 
stopping the bad things. Yeah, I think that's as deep and philosophical <laughs> as any. Like it's very clear, isn't it? Is it? Have and have you always um, been interested in environmental issues? Like, so, what was your? Did you have? Um, have you always been involved in environmental activism, or is this something that sort of came upon you after your environmental science um, work? Or yeah, um, so I guess I started off. Um, it was about, it was in high school, I started getting onto like social justice issues. I felt like um, corporate greed um, and, and illegitimate power was a problem. And so I guess I started joining like social movements around then. And um, yeah, started really kind of taking on big corporate businesses. And then I guess um, once I got, yeah, into uni um, and started learning a bit about how interconnected humans are with the environment and how you can't really separate the two. And we try to, like, you know, you look at society and it really tries to paint a picture like we're separate entities, but you see how you're just so interlinked and interwoven and everything you do has an effect on the things around you and vice versa. That, um, yeah, I started to just, um, yeah, see how that was not really a great way for humans to start going. So I... Yeah, I guess I started uh, veering more towards environmental activism at that point, probably mm. around the uni period. And then, um, yeah, and then through that activism, I guess, um, yeah, started uh, seeing the interconnecting things of other issues and yeah, spreading and widening out from there. Yeah, and, and you, you worked um, in as an environmental consultant for... Um, agricultural businesses previously in a previous life is that is that true or, um, yeah or what I, was that I gave, experience like? I gave some um, yeah I was giving some agricultural advice to um, farmers and also to uh, local councils who grew had um, who I guess had community gardens and stuff like that so on both fronts really just trying to discuss with them uh, the benefits of uh, working with the systems they had rather than against them so starting to um, look at um, I guess what you def what people call sustainable or whatever, but it's just basically just trying to, um, uh, you know, work with the earth's resources and you know not using uh, industrialized chemicals, not um, yeah, not using um, fertilizers that were artificial, not um, yeah, trying to uh, set up systems that required lots of waters that the you know the natural rainfall patterns weren't. Um, able to provide and so yeah just really um yeah and you know how how you deal with with what they define as pests and seeing how where there's a given share relationship and and mm -hmm. finding you know integrated pest management controls and stuff like that so um yeah i guess i guess that was my experience it was kind of um on the com in the community side of things like the councils were really um easier to convince but the um farmers definitely uh, see things more with dollars and cents and so having to try to convince them how to do it while um, keeping their money in their pocket was really hard yeah <laughs> and yeah did, was that was that um, one of the reasons that you moved away from that sort of work that it was hard to convince people who were just thinking about profits um, uh, no I mean it probably didn't make things easier for me but I think I just veered away from that more just because I started to um, started to get develop a theory of change, I guess, in myself. And that theory of change involved more larger scale social movement stuff rather than just 
changing individual farmers because if I did that, like the amount of time that I was taking, um, yeah, I could go on for 20 years and make a small change or I could, yeah, find other avenues of making larger changes that might have a bigger social effect. So I started, yeah, to develop my theory of change down that path. Yeah, fantastic. And that's something I hope we can pick back up um, on later in the show, talking about your theory of change. Mm. Um, and, and you've, you've been involved, like speaking of big moves, there's a big movement against a Adani mine. Maybe, I know you mentioned sort of that, that's out there, but our listeners might not be familiar. Do you want to briefly talk about uh, that that protest and also why this, this is going to be a big problem? Yeah, sure. So I'm um, a real brief um, summary, I guess, is there's just a giant um, deposit of coal out um, in... Uh, central Queensland called the Galilee Basin and there are a lot of mining companies out there which include Gina Reinhardt and all the rest um, out there trying to extract that but the key player in that is a company called Adani who is uh, really at the forefront of opening that basin up by um, yeah train line access and yeah they're the furthest along with getting their approvals and starting and stuff like that so um, at the moment there's a large campaign against the Adani coal mine uh, it's taken um, up by probably two main groups or three, um, one being Stop Adani movement, the other one being the Galilee blockade, and the third one being Frontline Action on Coal mm. or FLAC, which is the one that I particularly work with and involved with, and that's probably the more uh, on the front line kind of group. That's a group that does a lot of um, direct action on the ground around the mine sites, um, really trying to halt their progress of... Um, clearing forests, clearing trees, um, building structures and all that. We've been doing a lot of direct action to stop that, um, yeah, over the past while the, the, the frontline action on coal movement, I guess I should say. Yeah. And just on that, so what is the links that you've seen? And I know that you've um, been part of surveys in both um, landscapes that are being deforested for lumber and um, landscapes that are being deforested for coal mines. What is the impact that it has on the environment and animals in those environments? Oh, it's, it's, it's pretty devastating. Like, you know, the first thing you notice when you go to those things is the impact on the trees. That's the most obvious one. It's easiest to see is you see this, this clear felling um, and that breaks your heart. But then when you like pull back the layers and you start to, um, you know, see where animals that have been... Um, you know, studied in that area and that are, you know, in decline and are becoming extinct. Um, you know, that's their habitat that's being destroyed. These are the last vestiges of their homes. Um, and we've got no right to like wipe out species and just um, control these animals' homes. So, um, yeah, that's um, definitely um, a really big long term shocking effect because, you know, you can always, I guess, regrow trees there and they'll be back eventually. But the animals that, use those old growth trees to um, have as, as dwellings and homes. Um, once they're gone, that's it. There's no, there's no coming back. And um, yeah, I think that that's a really important thing when people think about the forests being cleared. It's not just about the trees. It's about the, um, the ecosystems and the animals that live in those forests. Um, and they're currently under huge threat and being wiped out at an incredibly um, yeah, fast rate. And, and when Jim, um, just for those out there that might not know, uh, and old growth, old growth trees and old growth forest, uh, forests that have been around for a long time and they, they develop structures that aren't found in younger forests. So they have hollows and, um, fallen branches and trees that create incredibly, um, rich and diverse habitat for a large number of animals that can't actually survive in younger growth 
forest. So if you get rid of this, um, this, these different ages of forest within a landscape, you actually lose um, certain species totally because they cannot survive. It, it, it's like them being deprived of water. They're just not able to survive in a landscape um, that doesn't have the habitat that they have uh, evolved to, to live within. So it's, yeah, it, it is absolutely devastating. As Jim says, you can grow back trees, but if it doesn't have the right structure and it's not fit for the um, species that need it, mm. then those species won't come back. Mm. and they'll be lost forever and i think also more generally I, I hear a lot of you know when people are opposing these developments or other ones that destroy destroy the environment it's often we need to do this for our grandchildren and that's obviously a legitimate perspective but if you only talk about that it's quite human centric so in terms of motivations i guess in terms of you being there um it isn't just purely about like oh humans are going to struggle in the future but also for the animals there as well yeah totally there's so many you know beautiful species of like greater glider and um yeah we found this really unique um out in gippsland really unique species of crayfish that is nowhere else like in australia let alone mm. the planet um it's this one small very specific species that um yeah is really cool and we go out at night and you know fossick around the riverbeds and try to um you know count them and spot them and they're they're really hard to find and really rare but they're there and those are the areas that are getting cleared and logged and those species get wiped out completely those those small creek systems that they um rely on um yeah get wiped out and you know driven through and trees get thrown down into the gullies into the water systems and clog them up and stop water getting flowing through there mm. um there's just so many ramifications for these animals in these areas it's just yeah it's really really sad and what does the surveying actually do yeah um, yeah it's a good question so basically the methodology that um we've used that has actually saved forest out there is basically um, when an area is being logged um, half the time illegally um you go into those um logging areas at night um find these species that are endemic to that area um, write up a report and then send that off to um, the proper government um, uh, officials that will protect that environment but that takes a while so mm. it kind of only works when you partner that up with direct action and so basically while that um, you know report is being considered by the government um, regulatory areas you basically uh, you know set up shop blockade the roads stop any trucks coming and logging anything and protect that forest so that when it is protected there's something to protect because in the past yeah there have been areas that have been protected but only after it's been cleared which is just yep. this is the point at that point um so yeah yeah that's kind of the main method and that's why we do that we we go out there and survey um animals um at night there was some lead beater possums that we saved um a forest over in um just um up in Telangia, there was an area of forest that was, you know, and that's the that's the um, faunal emblem of, mm. of Victoria is is um, the this um, little species of, of possum, and we are wiping it out, and it's and it's it's very close to being extinct, and all the science is saying if we keep going the way we're going, it's going to be extinct, but. Um, yeah, we managed to save um, a bit of area for it purely through surveying. So, yeah, that's why we do it. Mm. And I find that quite interesting in that there's often this tension in social movements between the more moderate aspects, right, let's do things through the system, and then the more radical aspects saying let's do direct action. But it's quite interesting it's actually combining and working both, both of those tactics together within the one movement. It's quite interesting. 
Oh, yeah, mm. totally. I think that's when it works the best. You mm. know, like fighting things on all fronts is mm. like, you know, when diversity of tactics is when you get, mm. I reckon, the best results. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And we're just um, at 3CR here. Uh, 3CR is driven by the energy politics and passion of our volunteers, members who turn up and do the work week in, week out. And we need your commitment to keep us on air. So we're calling, we've got a um, subscriber drive at the moment, and we're calling for listeners to consider um, subscribing to the uh, 3CR to keep all the great shows here on air um, and keep Radical Radio going. And we're just going to go to a song. Actually, no, we're not going to a song. We're going to a little clip um, by Will Anderson uh, called Sharks. And I should mention as well before we go to, I thought this was quite a relevant one, uh, talking about animals in the environment in terms of the killing of sharks is obviously a problem for those individual sharks being killed, but is also obviously a big environmental and conservation issue as well. Uh, And I should also mention that this track does contain some swearing. Yeah, it's quite a lot of swearing. So (laughs) if you're adverse to that, just switch off for a minute and a half. Like, if a diver swims out of where the sharks are and gets attacked by a shark, I feel sorry for the diver, but that is not the fucking shark's fault. That is, that, the diver swam out to where they fucking live. That is not the shark. The shark must be looking at the diver going, fucking sweet, home delivery. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the fucking shark's fault. If the shark had been walking along the beach pouring marinade on people, fucking kill it. <laughs> if the shark had been driving a combi through the Northern Territory picking up hitchhikers, fucking kill it. <laughs> If the shark had the diver in a hole in its basement going, rub the lotion on your skin. I'm Chai Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Freedom of Species, and we are speaking with Jim, Jim Kramer, and a local um, activist. And that clip that you just heard was um, by comedian Will Anderson, uh, a little sketch called Shark. And today we're talking about um, Jim's activism and environmental activism and um, how animals relate to environmental activism and um, how we can protect them through environmental activism. Um, Jim, you were mentioning some of the some of the things you've experienced and how you go about uh, working for animals in environmental activism and working for the environment. Can you tell us how your relationship towards animals has changed over um, the period that you started uh, working in activism, doing activist work, um, to now? Has has your relationship with animals changed? Yeah, yeah, I think definitely. Um, yeah, I mentioned earlier that I was just, um, it was originally very human-centric where it was just more about, like, greed and stuff like that and corporations and... and and um, the manipulation of, of the classes and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, once I started getting involved with the environment movement, um, you kind of still start seeing it from, a, I guess, a human perspective of like, oh, we've got to protect the planet for ourselves and for, um, you know, and for me and my, you know, friends and community. Um, but, um, yeah, then you start to see, once you, you see the ripple effect of how this affects other things, then... Um, yeah, that affected me even more actually. And I started to, um, yeah, feel a more deeper, um, empathy for the animals that are like doing, um, the least amount of destruction to the planet, but suffering the worst. And it just seemed a real, um, yeah, a real injustice that like, 
you know, why am I focusing on on just the humans that are actually doing this stuff and making this mess and these bystanders who have, you know, less, um, yeah, autonomy in their spaces um, are actually being, you know, eradicated and suffering. It was just this weird um, irony that I couldn't sit with. So, um, yeah, I think that at some point I started to yeah, maybe start looking at it differently and start going, hang on, I want to actually protect this environment for animals, not f- not so much as much for, um, yeah, just solely based on humans anymore. It's, it's, it's about how it's going to affect them. And, um, you know, it's not good enough to just um, try to see if we can cut our carbon emissions and our, our environmental targets to make sure that humans can continue living like they are. It's about, like, finding targets that can keep other species of animals um, living how they are and, and, and keep them going and surviving. And, um, yeah, that's uh, a harder target to reach, but it's, I think, more important. And, um, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't separate the two. And I think also, like, yeah, I mean, hanging out with the environmental movement definitely, like, makes you aware of, like, you know, your, your choices that you make on a day-to-day basis, your ethical choices that you choose and being around other people that have um, a diverse amount of ethical um, ways of interacting with their surroundings via their diet and stuff like that or other ways that they interact with with um, animals starts to become like something that you're more aware of and you, and you can see how that in itself affects climate and the environment as well and it's all just this big feedback loop and circle and then it just goes around in circles and you're like, okay, well, I guess I've got to also... Um, yeah, start um, analyzing how I, um, yeah, how I interact with these things on a day-to-day um, way, and it's not just about a campaign. It's it's about um, yeah, how you interact with the world mm. and how you affect it. Mm. And you mentioned about the idea of viewing the importance of individual animals and not just the environment ecosystems, and you very much seeing things that way as an environmental campaigner, but obviously not everyone sees things that way. I was wondering, and obviously there's big debates and differences and that kind of thing, but I wonder if you talk more generally about some of the attitudes towards animals in the environmental movement. Uh, But what I'm particularly interested in is some of the more negative attitudes towards animals. Do you think we as an animal movement sometimes contribute to those attitudes or play into them? Do you think there's anything we as a movement could be doing better to improve attitudes towards animals in the environmental movement um oh it's a bit of everything hey it's Mm. like there's no one causation Mm. and reason and um i guess everyone can do anything to make something better um yeah i think the movement at the moment is really divided i think that there's those that see um animals as an important part of the environmental fight versus others that don't and see it as a completely human-centric fight. Mm -hmm. Um, There's definitely a massive division there. And, I mean, it doesn't mean that people don't work together, Mm -hmm. but it definitely means that campaigns are skewed towards one or the other. Mm -hmm. And there's, yeah, this growing kind of dichotomy between the two ways of doing things. And so I I think that there needs to be more open discussions and there needs to be more spaces made for those two um, dichotomy and, and ways of thinking coming together and, and talking and discussing how they can work together. Um, so, yeah, I think that involves probably, you know, in my opinion, I don't know, um, but my guess would be give and take on both sides of the fence. Um, um, and that, um, yeah, sure, like I think the, the uh, you know, 
animal liberation movement could could do um, do some things that um, make people feel less defensive, I guess. But then I guess also the it's up to the other side of the coin to do things that make them feel less defensive. Like if you're <laughs> feeling defensive, you're probably finding somewhat maybe a little bit guilty about how you do things. So maybe there's worth you know analyzing where that comes from and. Um, yeah, there needs to be um, more talk on that, I think. And yeah, um, yeah, that's my short mm. kind of thought. Yeah, one, one thing I'd specifically seen, which I thought could probably be off-putting and maybe could be worded better, was a common thing you'll see in climate marches, that kind of things, is you can't be a meat-eating environmentalist. And I thought that was kind of off-putting in terms of rather than saying, you know, animal agriculture is an important issue, sort of saying, even though you've done all this activism, even though you ride a bike or whatever, you're not an environmentalist. And I was going to think of the way that could kind of be off-putting in terms of our messaging. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. I think definitely like there's people that um, on both sides of every uh, oppression or issue um, mm. like to uh, act as if um, where they're at is the place that everybody has to be at at that exact moment. And mm. um, I think that just needs to be across the movement from everybody of every oppression to be just like, hang on, where was I at some point in my journey? Where, mm. you know, was I, did I always have this view? Did I always act like this? Or is mm. this, am, am I here as part of my own personal journey? And and everybody's at a different stage. And so, mm. um, yeah, I think that, um, I think there's spaces for being a bit more direct, but then I think there's also spaces for a bit more um, nuanced conversation and things like conversations like that, that you just brought up, mm. like banners like that. Um, I definitely think causes more harm than good because, um, yeah people people can get there at different times and that's mm. fine like you know uh there, there are people that are fighting for um yeah lots of different issues and they get um sometimes a lot of social capital out of like who can yell the loudest at people that are doing the shittest in their view and it's not i don't think it's constructive i think it's divisive i think it doesn't help bring us together at all and and, mm. and learn from each other i think it just pits us against each other which is like I don't know, probably what the capitalists want, right? Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 we're accusing rather than saying, let's have a conversation. Mm. Um, and I know that you have tried to have those conversations in an environmental space for animals. Um, what, what has been the reaction that you've, you've gotten when you've tried to create, first create the space? Has that always been available? Do, are people happy to allow you to have that space for animals? Or once you do create the space... What is the reaction when you do have those conversations? <laughs> it's weird. Hey, um, I don't know. It's bizarre. It's it's that same thing. It's just flipped around, you know. It's just people that have their views and see that as the, the right view. And so um, any chance for dialogue is just shut down um, in a lot of spaces. Um, I think I've been successful in some spaces mm. um, where we do get to have convos, but it's weird. I mean, I was telling you this before the radio show that we were like up at um, the – you know, the flat camp and discussing and there was like a division amongst the group other, you know, as to whether these chickens that were living on the property, um, whether they should be free to roam or not and people wanting them in cages. And it was just kind of bizarre. It's like, like, you know, if you can't figure out how to work with your environment, like here with such a, a, a low, you know, a low need species as chickens. They're pretty chill. They're just, you know, they're just rummaging around looking for bugs and, or whatever else and seeds and whatever else they're eating and they're not bothering you or anything. And if you can't tolerate that, how are you going to create a society that can work with um, 
that can work with the environment like you clearly can't um so it's it's really um yeah it's really bizarre i i would love to have more chats in spaces with it i think there's there's lots of development at friends of the earth i think there's some cool chats happening there mm. and there's lots of space for discussion about how animal agriculture affects the environment mm. and i think that that's really you know needs to be discussed in this day and age of climate like you can't ignore it like we just really have to stop the idea of like just shushing that comment um and that idea like that that's a discussion that needs to happen i think friends of the earth is, is really um really um, happy to have that chat whereas other organizations um are not and i guess that's you know a lot of the reasons is because probably like worrying that they're how they're going to affect people that don't have that same view and whether they're going to lose donors or me members and i think people are just got to stop worrying too much about that and I think the the documentary, I kind of, uh, you mentioned this sort of give and take from both sides and the documentary in a book as well uh, by Naomi Klein, This Changes Everything. I think sort of looking at that that documentary and that book sort of uh, touched on both sides of this in that, yeah, I, in our talk, I think it was played in Freedom Species ages ago, I sort of critiqued the idea you can't be a meat environmentalist and sort of trying to use different messaging in the movement. I also mentioned that that documentary focused on the environmentalism of the poor and how a lot of the these people might not be vegan but might have a lower environmental impact than me for example who's vegan but he's living like a western kind of lifestyle um so i think there was like vegans could learn a lot from that kind of thing like the environmentalism and the poor and human social justice but on the flip side i thought it was the doco was in a bit species in a way because basically naomi klein said um and I, I love her work but she was saying that um basically she was never that motivated by seeing the polar bears ice like disappear but then when it came to this was actually about a human social justice and the poor sort of fighting back, then she became excited about it. And I, I kind of found it very human-centric. So just looking at that documentary again, I think vegans could learn a lot from that human social justice, but also that sort of very human-focused social justice, I think, should be encouraged to be expanded to include non-human animals as well. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, it should. Damn right, damn right. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it wasn't really a question. <laughs> um, so you've mentioned already that a lot of your advocacy um, includes direct action. And um, just want to, can you tell us about what direct, what direct action actually is and why you've gotten to there through your theory of change, I imagine, um, why you've chosen to put um, a lot of your effort and time into direct action? Yeah, totally can. Um, yeah, and, and talk about that. Have you guys done direct action? Is that, you, you've done yeah, that I've before. Done, yeah, but not okay. much and not for quite a long time, I believe. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's something that like... Um, yeah, we've done and it's it's pretty um yeah, I think like yeah, as part of my theory of change is just like seeing that um yeah, if you look back at like any historical moment, um most of the big changes that um at least human society has made has been due to um what they call direct action, which is really just a word that people use for actually doing something, I guess. <laughs> you know, if you you know, if you if you're not to tolerating something if you're not complicit if you're standing up against something um and you're standing in the way of something being bad then you're i guess doing what they call direct action it's, it's essentially just using your body in any way that you can to um stop those damaging things and and promote positive things and so yeah i mean that can be anything to like um, you know, setting up a roadblock into a logging coop or into a mining site or locking onto machinery or 
I don't know, like anything, like any any big historical change, like the you know the the um, suffragettes movement that got like women the vote that was direct action you know the 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 civil rights movement in america that got um people of color the vote that that was direct action like um you know anytime that there's an injustice and that injustice flipped around there's direct action that's involved um there were so many um people in the queer rights community who were doing direct action um leading up to getting um you know people of any gender the right to marry there's direct action happening all over the country all over the world constantly to make changes so i don't know what do you think about it like i think it's pretty sick it's pretty cool mm. yeah no, i think it's um yeah you mentioned diversity of tactics as well and it's sometimes quite interesting that those are all fairly moderate campaigns like getting the right to vote having same-sex marriage like they're quite moderate but yet to actually achieve them there's quite of quite um radical tactics used as well so yeah i think it shows the importance of all, all those yeah different sort of tactics on board i guess yeah, I guess because, like, the people that don't want those, like, regular things happening are people in power, right? They want mm. things to stay the same because that's how you make the most money when things stay the same and you can account for things. Um, but um, in keeping things the same, you're keeping people oppressed. And I guess their power is to make people feel complicit, make people feel, um, you know, indifferent. Um, and so I guess, you know, the opposite of direct action is just being different and just saying, oh, well, I can't make a difference. Um, you know, yes, I can, I can, um, acknowledge that this thing isn't good, but oh, wells, um, yeah, that's what they want. And if, you know, if you're, if you find yourself saying, oh, wells, um, yeah, consider the fact that, um, people were saying that during those simple needs of like women's rights to vote women's right for um being treated equal which is still a struggle even today because of patriarchy um you know any of those things that we talked about um yeah those are things that if we just all sat around and said oh well would still be in place right now and um the only way they've changed is through um a, a campaign that used um some forms of direct action so if you think you can do it um if it's it's not for everybody but if you think you can do it probably give it a give it a crack i know adam you were out at that there was a direct action outside the pig slaughterhouse for example uh, how how effective do, do you find that in that case was that about um i guess that wasn't so much about disrupting it was more about the representation but anyway do you want to talk a little bit about that in terms of animals yeah so i think it's absolutely vital direct action is absolutely vital and i think that it's um a difficult space in terms of uh animals and slaughterhouses and things because it, it is it is um we, we can get out in front of a slaughterhouse and and try to stop it for a few hours or a couple of days or um but the the end goal of that of those animals who are sitting in a truck right in front of you they will go to a slaughterhouse at the end of it you are not going to save those individuals and i found that really difficult even though we might have delayed their death by hours um i found that not being able to stop their death um, was very, very hard and, and looking them in the face. Um, mm. Absolutely vital, absolutely necessary. Um, I, think, I think that there's some things that the animal movement could learn from the environmental movement in terms of direct action and just the wealth of knowledge that the environmental movement has around direct, direct action. Um, but I, yeah, I think there's lots, lots of things and, and lots of knowledge that needs to be gained um, before those direct actions become really 
really powerful. Mm. I think they can be really powerful, but I'm mm. not sure where they are in the animal movement yet. Mm. And I guess also, I guess a lot like um, the examples um, Jim gave earlier in terms of like they had the direct action and they had a big social movement behind them as well. So I guess, yeah, we need direct action in animal movement. We also need a, a bigger movement of people as well to get momentum behind these actions too. Yeah, I think like the way that they work is they flow around and 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 feedback into itself so mm. to get a, a, a large community resistance you have to start with a small community resistance which does some direct action which gets more community people on board mm. and then gets more communities doing different diverse things and then you yeah you continue repel, replenishing your community by continually doing stuff which inspires people um the stuff that's happening at frontline action on coal right now like whenever um it seems like momentum's dwindling do a big action um and you just get a swell of new people and new support and people that are like oh i was just sitting around and saw you do something and mm. thought oh yeah hell yeah i want to get involved i didn't know you could get involved and do something about it mm. so um it is really hard and it's painful because i've experienced exactly what adam's talking about where like you know you just you're stopping something but then you you know eventually there's a point where maybe it goes ahead anyway like you know you you're protecting forests that eventually get logged or you're stopping coal on a train that eventually gets shipped mm. to the port but um yeah it's never about one action i guess that's the thing that yep. really is the thing about direct action is mm. it's never just like it's never one um campaign goal you know there's multiple campaign goals to get a win there's multiple direct action goals to get a win you need to see it as it's it's a part of a, of a whole and um without doing it you are a weaker movement but um yeah you can't see it as the panacea for making change it's mm. it's it's um yeah it's about doing it regularly and 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 continually over time that builds the momentum of, of a large-scale resistance on, on a bad issue Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess in terms of the animal example, you won't say that one pig in, in terms of the way those actions were done, but hopefully you'll create a movement where other pigs aren't, aren't brought into that situation with people becoming vegan. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And with that, we're going to go to a song with a language warning. So yeah. again, if you're not interested in bad language, then tune out for two minutes. This is Waste by Good ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun.
You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR, and we're joined by Jim Cremar discussing animals and the environment. And I just wanted to give a quick plug. Again, you heard the announcement then, but I wanted to give another quick plug for uh, to subscribe to 3CR. Lots of great shows. We're obviously you know promoting animals here, and also sometimes focusing on other issues like environmental issues and human social justice issues as well. Such a great range of shows promoting yeah wide range of human social justice issues, uh, environmental issues, yeah queer issues, indigenous issues feminist issues so much great stuff um and yeah obviously sally out of the pan before us does a great show um bringing awareness around issues around gender and sexuality uh and psychedelia coming up next does a great job of giving an evidence-based um, approach to drugs focusing on harm reduction and what actually works based on the evidence so so many great shows before and after us and all throughout the week on 3cr so yeah encourage everyone to subscribe you can do that via the 3cr website 3cr.org.au for forward slash subscribe and you can also uh, set up an ongoing recurring subscription there as well so you don't have to sign up each year they'll just go off uh, yeah it will just be renewed each year yeah so just before the um that song jim you were mentioning a, a few things lots of really interesting points you were making but one of them was around um community and around the need to create good spaces in community for conversations and things. And I know that you've been involved in creating community spaces and um, to help promote um, conservation, environmentalism and um, social justice, ideas of social justice. Do you want to talk a little bit about the value of creating strong, good communities and, and how you've gone about that in the past and how you do it now? Yeah, sure. Let's chat about it. Um, yeah, communities. It's a, so, you know, how do you define that? It's hard. Um, I consider you part of my community. Yeah, Like, absolutely. you know, we may not be like um, get to see each other um, really often, which is um, unfortunate. I'm going to do better to reach out and, and say hello to you. But um, I do consider you part of my community as I do lots of friends who I see more often. Um, but I guess like, I guess that it's defined or something, I think, as like people that live in an area together who rely on each other. And I think um, that, yeah, we need to re-strengthen that, that we need to strengthen on the reliance on each other. And currently, I guess the system's set up to, um, yeah, like uh, the system's set up for us to not rely on each other, that we just rely on the government that like feeds and clothes and, and houses us and, and that, that takes care of us. And so we don't need each other anymore. Um, and I think it's really alienating and it's shit. I think it's like one of the best parts of being alive and being, um, yeah, experiencing life on this planet is about like, yeah, engaging with my community. I don't know how you, how do you find engaging with your community? Oh, I just touched on a bit of a, a tangent, but yeah, you mentioned like the government will do that for us, and then under sort of neoliberal society, they're incre- increasingly not doing that, and so these communities become even more essential to provide those kind of services in that context too. But uh, Adam, yeah, and and I suppose maybe not even the government but we we all we tend to rely on jobs and we get forced into this um, work pattern that isn't particularly good about um, promoting community and healthy community relationships and um, and the development of strong communities because we rely on jobs that if we miss we're going to not have work anymore and we're not going to be paid and we will um, fall out of certain social um, things we won't have access to certain things and we work so much that we fear that that we can't make those communities um strong Mm. and i think i think that i I, we've been talking about a little bit on the show recently that 
it really is important to build up community again and and rely on each other and start to come together in spaces without without distractions like the internet or social media and things which I think often builds false communities or communities that aren't necessarily um, strong or, or are particularly um, sort of they fight or they, they create friction between different or, uh, structures within our communities. Um, but yeah, I think it's super valuable. I'm not great at it. I'm not great at... Um, I know that years ago, Jim, you told me about something that you like to do if you're on, on the train or something. Every day you'll try and speak to one random person that you don't know. I think that's such a nice, that's such a nice thing and really does help you sort of connect to others even in a small way. Um, but I'm not really very good at it. No, I wish mm. I was. I wish I could. I, I need to push, push through that sort of barrier, that fear of annoying someone or whatever because <laughs> it's not going to make any difference to anyone's day, is it, if I say hello? But... Yeah, I, how, do, how do you just do those small things of, of building community? I'm, I'm just not great at it. I wish I was. Yeah, I mean... I want to learn. <laughs> I think there's different ways. Hey, um, you know, that's one little thing. But, I mean, the community that you're around, like, that's that's the really that's the really important one. And, the, you know, trying to, like, find things that you normally rely on capitalist systems, like, you know, um, things that we don't rely on community anymore is like food or like um, water or um, housing or like now with um, therapists, like emotional support and stuff like that. And these are all things that, you know, we're all at one point provided by the community. Like we, we together as, as, as a village of community, we, we provide all those things with each other. And that's, I think, like where we um, perhaps operate the most healthiest um, if you look down into like down the burrow hole of um you know sociology literature and psychology and all that we we tend to like really struggle with these big giant fragmented mm. lifestyles that we currently have and um yeah so i think like things like organizing to hang out with people less work the best way like honestly the best way to um to do better in community is work a hell of a lot less because if you're working all the time you're um you know you're tired you're going home you're resting you're recuperating and then going back out and doing it all again and then um any free time you have might be just in those little indulgences that of your personal time that you need because you're at work around people who um might not be part of your community and um yeah i think i think definitely if people worked full-time or casual more they'd have more time to go out and know their neighbor know the people down the street um spend more time with their friends and the people that they um enjoy enjoy their company but just don't have enough time for so i think like you know apart from just arranging more time for chats you've got to you've got to eliminate the things that are getting in the way of those more chats with people mm -hmm. whether they're strangers or people that you know is um yeah, do less of the things that get in the way of those things, I think is the best way to do it. And yeah, I think that idea, like linking it to the environment as well, I know there's a lot of discussions around maybe three or four day work weeks or whatever, and sort of slowing down the economy as well. Like, so we work less, we produce less, which is good. A lot of the stuff we produce is manufactured wants, like just we want it because it's advertised, it's not actually in need. And so if we actually work less, it would have that environmental benefit as well as those community benefits. And yeah, the government often frames things, if, if you're not doing paid work, you're 
you're wasting your time or you're not doing anything whereas actually people are often doing really important things outside of work hours as you say building community helping out in their community helping others etc so yeah i think we need to change our mindset on that as well totally mm. yeah it's bullcrap don't listen to it mm. anyone that says you're not doing anything by not working mm. is just um yeah participating in in helping stopping community grow so mm. Yeah, totes. I agree. What do you think? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this, this is something that I've been talking to some people down in my neck of the woods, down in Geelong and Port Arlington area, about how how do we create those sorts of opportunities in those spaces where we where we can help rely on each other a bit more and promote less work and promote more social interaction. Um, and there's this. I just went to a really great little um, place in Norlane, which is a suburb of. Um, of Geelong, which is has a lower socioeconomic sort of, um, it's a lower socioeconomic area. Uh, a lot of people doing it a little bit tougher there, a little bit harder. And this place has sort of um, been created, this community space, which is someone's um, bought a house and all of the all of the yard of that house has been turned into a um, productive um, garden for fresh produce and they've created a real community around um, maintaining that garden and then the local people in Norlane which is basically a food desert for anything healthy um, they get 50% off for any of the stuff that they buy there they do regular um, community sort of working bees and things and I was there yesterday and as soon as I got there just chatting to lots of different people it was lovely never met any of them before and everyone was just really friendly really interested in chatting um it just created a nice community mm. and i think those sorts of things are fantastic yeah. yeah yeah most humans are really nice most i mean animals are really nice but humans are really nice you mm. know i mean we are um taught that they're out to get us and we've got to watch out and be guarded and all that crap and it's like that's just not true like humans are generally most of the time really nice people and getting to know them is really sick and um yeah a lot of over overlapping um you know um fun things to do together um lots of overlapping interests that you can get involved with and you know some of them might not agree with everything you agree with but just try to relate on the things you do agree with mm. and you start helping each other and start relying on each other and then before you know it you develop a relationship of empathy and then people change people like each of you change. You take on some of their thoughts. They mm. take on some of your thoughts. And this mm. beautiful, like, community starts developing of, like, this hive mind, you know, which is, like, great. Like, love it. Like, mm. working together. Mm. Yeah. And I think also, yeah, again, on environmental and animal issues, I remember – yeah, reading and discussing some critiques of environmental vegan advocacy and saying often like it's a coal, like an anti-coal thing and like it's not all vegan so therefore that it's, it's part of the problem and they're not doing the right thing. But they said on the flip side, a better way to do things actually have vegans within those spaces and actually a lot of those spaces they have made all vegan food, for example, by actually being a part of those communities and, and getting involved rather than just dismissing it because it's not focusing on animal agriculture as well. So I think having, yeah, again, vegans rather than dis dismissing, getting involved in those communities and engaging with those other really important environmental issues totally mm. to tolerating other people's differences of opinion is mm. like i think an amazing way to make change like mm. you can definitely make change by having a certain level of tolerance tolerance and then slowly developing letting them develop their own ideas you know just mm. through having chats with them and yeah you have spaces that were just serving meat now serving vegan and stuff like that there's definitely mm. um there's definitely value in that totally agree with what you're saying um 
it's sick and we need to all do it um, on both sides of the fences, on all sides of the fences. And, um, yeah. and I suppose um, we here, we, we talk a lot about activism and advocacy, but that doesn't need to be the only thing you build community around. I mean, mm. I was chatting to Jim um, during the song break, but he's been, uh, they've been um, getting together um, and picking up instruments again and doing some stuff around music and creating community about, around music. And I know we both share a, a, a love of board games. And, you know, I, I meet up with people in Geelong around and do stuff in board games and have very interesting conversations, great great discussions around really important issues. And um, so find, find spaces that you enjoy and try to bring other people to those sorts of spaces or, or go and meet people in those spaces and develop a community that way as well. Totally, yeah. Come, mm. come over to my place. Play some board games with me, guys. <laughs> hey, both of you. Like, yeah. I think this Sunday. Um, do you know, do you know Sam? Sam. Sam Potto. I feel like I'm. Yeah, right. you, I reckon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, doing stuff on Sunday. Come, come yeah. hang out. Yeah, come, cool. come play games with us. Come play some board games. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just finding anything. Um, yeah, is uh, you know anything that you can relate to. Hang out that that's definitely a really important deep way of making change like people make changes like through their personal relationships way more than like oh i saw like a banner in the street once and now i've changed everything about myself like it's mm. so less effective than mm. making those empathetic connections mm. and having those deeper conversations with people around something mm. yeah like way better than a slogan and I think also bringing that sort of more fun, whether it's like board games, music, just community, friends, et cetera, bringing that into activism would really help with avoiding burnout and that kind of thing as well. Having that community, having that support, having that fun in activism is really important too. Totes, mm. totes. Mm. Do that. Everybody, after your meetings, <laughs> hang out, do something fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> And I think that's about the um, the end of the show. So thank you very much, Jim, for joining us. It's been a great chat. It's been really, um, really useful for me, I think. I'm going to be going out there and and doing some things around the community, local community, try and connect with some more people. Is there Are there any groups that you'd suggest people um, try and get in touch with if they are interested in environmental activism or um, just doing stuff in their local community? Is there anything you'd suggest? Oh, too many. Um, definitely come down to Friends of the Earth because it's such a big hub of different things. Like you can get involved in so many different things that that's kind of like an umbrella group for people that love um, making positive change, but in really good ways, not in a like, um, you know, hella cooked like NGO way. It's really about community there and like everybody there really loves and respects each other. So um, Friends of the Earth is great. Frontline tons, of, at, front, tons of good vegan food down at Friends of the Earth. Yeah, there's a vegan cafe downstairs. Have, have a good feed, then come upstairs and have chats with people. Um, Frontline Action on Coal, get in touch with that. That's an amazing movement. And there's a Melbourne group um, that do amazing things. Um, yeah. Do you want to give a quick plug for your radio show on 3CR as well, or the show you sometimes host? Yeah, yeah. Occasionally I co-host a show that's like on once a month called The Sewer. Well, The Sewer Show is on um, every Friday, but I host it about once a month or so. Um, yeah, so Fridays at I think 5.30, 5, 5, 5.30. Um, yeah, get on to The Sewer Show, which is about um, social justice stuff. Fantastic. And you can find all the shows at 3cr.org.au. And keep listening. Um, two till three, it will have Encyclopedia on. See you next week. We're the gamers deciding to fly against the sky. Within our dreams, we all wake up to kiss the ones who are born to die. We're 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.